Good morning, chapel. Happy Easter to you all. It is a pleasure to be here with you this morning as we begin our celebration of the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As gruesome as the events of Good Friday are, um, were, and are to remember still, um, so too glorious as, as this morning. What a, what a pleasure it is to be here. If you would turn in your Bibles to John chapter 20, we'll be spending our time this morning as we begin today reading John's account of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We'll be reading verses 1 through 18, just to capture the first events of that morning on the first Easter. And as we begin, then let us begin by reading those verses. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark. And saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. So she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter and the other disciple went forth and they were going to the tomb. The two were running together and the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb first and stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings lying there but did not go in. And so Simon Peter also came following him and entered the tomb, and he saw the linen wrappings lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. So the other disciple, who had first come to the tomb, then also entered, and he saw and believed, for as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise again from the dead. So the disciples went away again to their own homes. But Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping. And so as she wept, she, stu- she stooped and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and one at the feet, where the body of Jesus had been lying. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around, and she saw Jesus standing there, and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Ravani, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and to your Father and my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came, announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. What a glorious text this is this morning. Let's open our time in prayer. Father, we thank you for our our opportunity to come together as a body this morning to celebrate the the most momentous occasion in all of history, God. To celebrate and rejoice in the resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ. God, even as we read the text this morning, it is amazing to consider the events of that first Easter morning. It is incredible to imagine the mindset of Mary Magdalene and other disciples as they came to the realization of the resurrection, as they slowly began to understand what that meant for them, what that meant for all of your children, God. We pray this morning that we might be able to read this text, to hear this story in a new way, 
Give us the ability to appreciate it as much as it ought to be appreciated, to be amazed by the power of your Son that is being put on display and thereby be amazed by your power, Father. We thank you, God, for sending your Son to die on our behalf, God. And just as Pastor Andy spoke Friday, God, truly that wrath should have fallen upon us, God, but your Son took it upon himself. We praise you for that. We praise you for the fact that he was able to endure that and then defeat the grave, thereby opening up the doors to eternal life to each and every one of us. Bless our time that we have now here this morning, God. Truly might it be a time of rejoicing and celebration. Might it set the tone for us throughout this day, God, and in the coming weeks. We praise you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Our focus this morning will ultimately be, of course, on the appearance and declaration of our Savior. It will be on that exchange that he has with Mary Magdalene in the final few verses. And it will focus on the joy, the weight of those words that Jesus speaks. But in order to, to fully appreciate the weight of glory in this text, to appreciate just how joyful this declaration of Christ is, it is important again to take a step back and first appreciate the grief that is being put on display in the first half of these verses. For as we all know, as John says in this passage, when Mary Magdalene and the other disciples initially approach the tomb that morning, they fully expect to find a corpse. They fully believe Jesus to be dead and done in his ministry. And as such, as Mary Magdalene approaches, the one upon whom John focuses much of attention on this text, the grief was overwhelming. And that grief was no doubt understandable in light of all that she and the other disciples had seen, not just in the days leading up to this famous Easter morning, but in all that they had seen in the years before. In the case of Mary Magdalene, you have a a disciple about which we know very little, although a lot of people today like to, to read a lot into various details. What the Bible does tell us is that Mary Magdalene, in Luke chapter 8, 1 through 3 apparently, suffered from demonic possession of seven demons. And although we don't know how her possession affected her specifically, we know from other texts that speak of of demonic possession in the Gospels that that it would have been no doubt misery for Mary Magdalene. For other people, demon possession caused blindness. It it removed their ability to speak frequently. It caused them to, to physically harm themselves. It drove them out of the community in which they lived. And so in the case of Mary Magdalene, you can guess, you can assume that prior to Christ, she was miserable. She was in utter torment. And yet, at some point in time in her life, in the midst of that possession, either she was brought before Christ or Christ was was simply approaching her. And in the blink of an eye, suddenly that torment was done. Mary Magdalene was healed. And we are told again in Luke 8 that that in response to her healing, she did exactly what she should have done, and that is she began to follow Jesus Christ. She began observing all the other miracles he would have performed. She began to hear the many teachings that Christ offered. Mary Magdalene would have no doubt seen a number of those miracles. She would have heard Jesus speak, and like other disciples, while she could not fully appreciate the magnitude of what Jesus was doing, While she might not have fully understood the role of the Messiah, she clearly believed him to be this this long-awaited figure. Like the other disciples, no doubt, then she had her hopes set extremely high for the time that she followed Jesus in his earthly ministry. It would have been to her own horror then 
to hear of Judas's betrayal, of, of him handing Jesus over. It would have been to her shock and dismay to hear of him being handed over to those Jewish authorities that hated Jesus Christ. It would have been to her horror to see the masses turn against Christ, to see him handed over to Roman authorities, to be brutally humiliated, beaten, to be nailed to a cross in front of others, to mock and to scorn. We are told back in John chapter 19, verse 26, that that Mary Magdalene would have been there at the crucifixion. In verse 26 of John 19, we read, Standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. She would have been there. Seeing this figure who had healed her of, of demonic possession, seeing this figure who had spoken such incredible truths of the kingdom of God, who healed other people of great diseases, who had risen people from the dead, who had declared himself to be God, and and here he was, nailed to a cross, dying in an excruciating manner. Mary Magdalene would have seen Jesus' body taken down from from that cross, and we are told in other texts that, that she watched closely to see where they were going to lay his body so as to be able to do what she seeks to do in John 20, that is, take better care of his body, to to prepare it as it should have been prepared. As devoted as she was, though, still in John 20, of course, she didn't understand the necessity of the crucifixion yet. She she didn't understand the concept of the resurrection. And so as we already mentioned, as she approaches the tomb in John 20, she is clearly overwhelmed by grief. She is no doubt miserable. And that misery is only made worse when... In verses 1 and 2, she comes to the tomb of, of Jesus and she sees it's empty. And so in panic, Mary Magdalene runs and finds the disciples. And as we already read in verse 2, she, she cries out to them and says, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb. We don't know where they've laid him. And again, you can only imagine how, how stressed she might have been, how, how overwhelming that must have been to discover. So confused, so, so grief-stricken was Mary that that as they return and as the other disciples observe the tomb and, and look around and come to their own conclusions regarding, it seems, the resurrection, even as she sees these angelic messengers and even as she sees Jesus Christ resurrected, she still doesn't understand what's happened. She is so confused that she is convinced still that this must be a gardener. She is convinced that someone has stolen the body of her Lord and she's desperate to find him again. The grief of Mary Magdalene here, as so beautifully detailed by John, is grief that is perhaps difficult for any of us to fully appreciate. While many of us in here have, have suffered the loss of a loved one, it would be hard to fully appreciate how much that suffering would have been made all the worse with those high hopes that Mary had had for her Lord. But still, those of us who have suffered loss understand how deep-seated that pain can be. We understand how long that, that time of mourning can, can go on because that sense of loss can be so tremendous, so tragic, especially when a life is taken in such a brutal and unjust manner. Mary Magdalene understood, of course, in this text that if Jesus was dead, there would be good reason for her to be grief-stricken for all of the hopes they had laid upon their Messiah had, had fallen short. Their God, that they had hoped would deliver them for so long, it seems, has failed his people. Mary understands that a dead Messiah is is worthless to them. 
And so she is understandably overwhelmed by grief and confused as to what is now happening. Yet in the midst of her weeping, in the midst of that confusion, suddenly her mourning turns to joy. Suddenly she's in essence healed of that grief. And that healing comes in a shockingly quick fashion. Yet again, it comes in the blink of an eye. And again, it comes with the appearance of Jesus Christ. And in these few words, in this this brief exchange that is found between verses 14 and 18, we have a text that that is awe-inspiring to us still today. For in these few words of Christ, and in his mere appearance to Mary, Jesus is is overflowing with compassion, overflowing with grace, and Jesus offers a declaration that is still beyond our own comprehension and how magnificent it must be to understand and, and how much it means for us still now. Both in his initial appearance to Mary then, as well as in his declaration, there's a great deal that Jesus offers to Mary and his other disciples. Just look Simply at the beginning of his appearance, again there in verses 15 through 16. We read again, Jesus, in the midst of Mary weeping, Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned them and, and then responds, and And even in this initial exchange, there is a shocking level of compassion put on display by our Savior. For consider whom Jesus could have chosen to appear before. I mean, consider the long list of people that that the Son of God could have presented himself before to prove that he was the Messiah, to prove he was the Son of God. He could have presented himself to any number of, of powerful political figures in that day. He could have gone back to Pontius Pilate. He could have sat before the the Jewish religious leaders and shown them, see, I am the Messiah. I am the one who who I I claim to be. He could have at least appeared to his his closest 12 disciples, his closest remaining disciples, and and given them comfort, given given that sense of peace as he will later in the text. Yet, despite those many choices, who does Jesus choose to first reveal himself to? A relatively worthless individual by society standards. Mary Magdalene was a nobody. And in that day and age, as many of you will know, women were already looked down upon. They were not all that trusted by by society at large. Mary Magdalene herself was was not a special woman, it seems. She'd been cured of of demon possession, but since then she's just been following Jesus around. It's like she's been accomplishing a great deal for the kingdom. Mary herself had missed the whole promise of the resurrection like the rest of the disciples. She had clearly doubted the reality of Jesus' teachings. She had questioned it. And yet it's before Mary that Jesus appears. It's before Mary that that Jesus makes this first resurrected appearance, and it's to Mary that he first chooses to speak. And, And both in that audience as well as in the tone with which he speaks, again, there's compassion that is incredible. For Jesus does not arrive on the scene scolding Mary Magdalene for doubting his power. He does not arrive on the scene questioning her devotion. He, he arrives on the scene again in this second speaking opportunity in verse 16. And, and he addresses her by name. He addresses her as, 
as Mary, and it's at this point in time that, that she recognizes his voice, she sees him for who she is, and she is overwhelmed with joy. And in addressing her by name, and in that reaction, the words of Christ back in John chapter 10 come back to mind, for, for Jesus is simply doing that which he said he would do as the good shepherd. Back in John chapter 10, Jesus speaking of his role as the good shepherd, in which he does speak of laying his life down for the sheep. Jesus says this in John chapter 10, beginning in verse 1, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door of the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice. He calls them, he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. Later on in that same chapter, John 10, verse 27 and 28, Jesus again describing his role as the good shepherd says this, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Jesus in John chapter 20 again then is is simply putting into practice that which he claimed in John chapter 10. He's demonstrating the compassion of a good shepherd. He's speaking to Mary as one of his own sheep that he tenderly loves, that he tenderly cares for. And Mary Magdalene in turn responds as Jesus says. She she hears his voice. She knows him. She loves him. And in response, based off of the next words of Jesus in verse 17, it seems Mary falls at the feet of Christ and and clings to him. She clutches onto him, understanding for the first time, perhaps, although not fully, what it is that Jesus has accomplished. Truly, if the text just ended in verse 16, we would have a glorious resurrection text. And we today would have reason to celebrate the compassion and grace of our Savior who would be risen from the dead and who would appear in such a gracious, compassionate way to such an unworthy soul as Mary Magdalene. It's a joyful celebration, a joyful text. Yet, it is not until verse 17 that the true weight of the resurrection starts to come. For as glorious as it is to hear the good shepherd address a sheep by name, it is far more glorious to consider the next message that Jesus gives to Mary Magdalene. It is in that message that we have this this proclamation, this declaration that the resurrection offers us still today. Continuing to speak to Mary Magdalene, Jesus, we read, says this, Stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Now, if we're not careful, it's easy to to kind of gloss over these words of Christ and jump to the more famous text of of the Great Commission and jump to the more famous text when Jesus speaks to the remaining disciples. But we cannot miss the weight of what Jesus is declaring in these few words. There are some things certainly that, that are familiar and should have been familiar to the disciples in this message. For Jesus prior to John chapter 20 had spoken of his future ascension. Jesus made it clear that he would not stay on earth, that he would would move on, that he would send the helper, the Holy Spirit, to guide, to assist, to to lead his disciples. And so the fact that he was ascending was in and of itself not a surprise. But it's the way in which Jesus describes his disciples. It's the way in which he describes 
that new relationship with God that is so significant that, that signifies this, this unimaginable shift that's taken place with the resurrection. For as Jesus speaks to Mary, take note of, of how he describes his disciples. What word does he use? Feel free to answer. I know it's very early. What word does he use? Go and speak to whom? My brethren. My brothers. Go and speak to my brothers and tell them what? I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go, right? And tell them, my brothers, I ascend to my Father and to your Father. My God and your God. Consider the weight of what Jesus is proclaiming here. Prior to the resurrection, Jesus has described his disciples in a number of ways. He's spoken of the fact that slaves are not better than their master. And speaking of the devotion the disciple must have to, to Jesus, the Lord. He's even gone so far as to call them his friends, which is amazing to consider in light of how unworthy the disciples were. But never has he gone to this extent. Never has he declared them to be brothers of his in the same way. Never has he he's spoken of the father or his relationship with the father in the same way that the disciples relate to the father, his relationship to God in the same way the disciples relate to God. And yet here, it's exactly what he says. His disciples are now declared his brethren. His father in heaven is declared to be our own father. There's this personal shift that has taken place that is made possible by the victory of Jesus Christ in his death, burial, and most significantly in his resurrection. This significance, this shift, is highlighted frequently by the Apostle Paul throughout his epistles. You have one text that, that speaks specifically to this idea of being brethren of Christ over in Romans. Romans chapter 8, verses 12 through 17, Paul says this, speaking ultimately to the same relationship. He says, so then, brethren, we are under obligation, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For, and here's key, for all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery, leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God and of children, heirs also. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. Speaking of that future glory, in verse 18, Paul says, I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. If you are familiar with texts like these, it is, again, easy to overlook the significance of what is promised to all believers. It's easy to overlook something like being called a co-heir of Jesus Christ. We must understand in, in this culture, in, in the words of Jesus, these words carried a great deal of weight with them. These words tell us that, that with his resurrection, the believer is not simply given salvation, the idea of being forgiven of sins. The believer is given everything. We're given a, a guaranteed inheritance that, that belongs to Christ. We're given a, a guaranteed future glory. We're given a new name, a new identity, a, a new life itself. And all of these things are impossible outside of the resurrection. 
for as glorious as the earthly ministry of Jesus was. And it was amazing to read through. As we all know, we still live in a culture today that, that holds up many of the teachings of Christ. We live in a culture that, that praises a lot of aspects of Christ's ministry, of, of helping out the poor and needy and, and healing people of sickness and, and speaking of the importance of love and hospitality. But as, as highly praised as some of those things are, again, as we already mentioned, if Jesus is just a cold corpse in the ground, those teachings are worthless. They're no different than the numerous prophets that came before him. They're no different from the many other great teachers that that this history has provided. It is only with the resurrection that Jesus' true worth is known. For it's only with the resurrection that his mission is fulfilled, that he is the victorious Messiah, that he is declared the king of all creation. It is with that resurrection, as we find in John 20, that you and I, Unworthy individuals are declared brothers and sisters of Christ. Again, we already saw how amazing that is when, when placed upon someone like Mary Magdalene. But again, consider how unworthy those disciples were to receive this honor. Where were the disciples at this point in time for the most part? They were holed up. They were terrified. Outside of Simon Peter and John who had come to the tomb here, the disciples still are, are relatively confused and and pretty overwhelmed with grief themselves. They didn't understand the resurrection. The Gospel of Mark tells us they went back fishing. They thought it's over. Done. These disciples had failed Jesus countless times in his ministry. They had questioned Jesus countless times in what he claimed. Peter, of course, famously pulled Jesus aside to tell him, you can't get crucified. You can't die, Jesus. These were not the greatest disciples one could possibly imagine, and yet, It is these disciples that Jesus says are are his brothers. It's these disciples that Jesus says are are now related to the the Heavenly Father in the way that Jesus is related to the Heavenly Father in a sense that they're now his co-heirs. And all of us sitting here this morning no doubt can recognize as unworthy as those disciples were, how much more unworthy are all of we? For all of us fall short constantly. All of us regularly fail to obey the teachings of Christ, and we live on this side of the cross. We live in light of the resurrection, and we still fail daily. And so easy it is to regularly be overwhelmed with a sense of shame and guilt, recognizing how unworthy we are, and yet we are told time and time again, that is no longer how we are viewed. You are not viewed as sick. You are not viewed as pathetic. You are not viewed as weak. You are viewed as a son of God as a child of God, as a co-heir with Jesus Christ, the resurrected Lord and Savior of all creation. There's no greater truth than that. No greater honor that could ever possibly be bestowed upon us. And so Jesus gives Mary Magdalene this, this incredible declaration. And he gives Mary Magdalene the honor to, to go tell the disciples this message. And we are told in verse 18 that Mary Magdalene, of course, does just that. She lets go of Christ and and she no doubt runs back to the disciples and declares, I have seen the Lord. And and she declares what he has said to her. Jesus soon will appear to those disciples. He will soon offer the great commission that many of us know and go into Acts 1-8 and we, we have a similar commission. And ultimately it's that same commission, that same message that, that all of us are given. 
all of us, having been given this great honor to be called children of God, are called to do the similar act that Mary Magdalene does. We're called to do the similar thing that the disciples were called to do. To speak the gospel boldly to the world around us. Not motivated by guilt or shame or a sense of inadequacy, but we are called to do so as as confident co-heirs of Christ, as ambassadors of the true King. As we speak the gospel to the world around us, we don't speak of some vague intellectual belief. We speak of a physical risen Savior who will come to judge the world. We beg people to bow the knee, to bend the knee now, because we know Jesus has proven himself to be king. There's no defeating him. There's no overcoming him. And so with great joy, we speak this gospel. With great joy, we come to a morning like this morning and celebrate Easter Because it reminds us of what we've been brought out of. It reminds us that that at some point in time in our lives, if we've given our lives to Christ, we were changed. By the resurrection, we were made new. We come and celebrate Easter this morning and throughout the rest of the day because it reminds us of our glorious and guaranteed future. For we will see our Savior face to face. He will call us by name. He will welcome us into his kingdom. And with that glory in mind, we celebrate Easter because it reminds us of of what our present calling must be. And that is to speak of a risen Savior to a world that is dying and desperately in need of new life. And so as we continue on in our time this morning, as we go back to our houses and perhaps come back later for our further resurrection services, we do so not with a mournful, somber tone that Good Friday brings, with an exuberant joy that Easter morning brings. For those of you who are here who have not placed your faith in Jesus Christ, I beg you to do so this morning. I beg you that, that you see the difference of Christ in this text that, that makes him so unique, so distinct from every other figure in the history of humanity. For we as Christians alone serve a risen Savior. We alone serve the true Messiah and the true one King of all creation. Believe in Him. Put your faith and trust in Him, unbelievers. As believers, might we be reinvigorated by this text in John 20. Might we rejoice in knowing that regardless of our past, we can know our future in Christ. We can know that we are co-heirs with Jesus and as such, We know what we are called to do daily. Let today be a day of celebration then, but a day that just then propels us into our daily service furthermore. Let's close our time in prayer. And Jeff will come up for another song. Father in heaven, again, we thank you for today. We thank you, God, for what today represents. God, I confess in my own heart, it is is easy to forget the significance of this morning. It's easy to go throughout the rest of the year forgetting the emotion that must have been experienced that original Easter morning. It's easy to come to our time together today and to read through the story, recognizing all of the events and and feeling overly familiar with the text, thereby failing to, to stand in awe of what it proclaims, God. But I pray this morning you've caused all of us to be awestruck yet again. Might we be awestruck by the compassion put on display by Jesus as he spoke tenderly to Mary Magdalene. Might we remember that 
But just as he was the good shepherd to Mary, he also is the good shepherd to us that he knows his sheep by name and he calls us. And might we respond in obedience, knowing that voice, knowing he cares, knowing he loves us, knowing he is risen. Might we hear the declaration that he offers in the end of the text and and remember that we are not just forgiven our sins, but we are declared to be co-heirs with him. We are so unworthy of this, God. So unworthy of all of this. And yet you have chosen us, God, and we praise you for that. For anyone who is here who does not know you, God, I pray that this morning might be the morning in which they are given new life themselves. Might you raise them from their own spiritual death and decay. Might you bring them new life, give them eyes to see, give them ears to hear, cause them to fall on their face and cling to Christ. We praise you, God. Bless the remaining time we have today. In Jesus Christ's name, amen.